0: Receipts live show at Tudum.com slash W-H-T-R. That's Tudum, T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W-H-T-R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash we have the receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at com slash W-H-T-R. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is You Can't Make This Up. You Can't Make This Up is the podcast where we uncover the true stories behind your favorite Netflix documentaries and films. Last week, we heard from director Felicity Morris and producer Bernadette Higgins about their hit documentary, The Tinder Swindler. This time, we're giving you an even closer look into the world of Simon Levayev and all the shady happenings that didn't make it into the documentary. For the next two weeks, we're going to play a special exclusive series, The Making of a Swindler. Felicity and Bernadette tell us more of a story that, well, you can't make up. Let's listen now to The Making of a Swindler.
2: Well, why I'm so sweet? Sometimes I'm sour, though, but I don't know. You're important to me. I like you. you in my heart. I trust you in a way which I cannot even explain. You're a good, genuine girl, a woman, which is very important. And I feel very comfortable with you. I feel it feels right. You know what I mean? That's why I want to build it up. That's why I want to give it a chance. That's why I, I want it to work. It and it will.
0: It will. <laughs>
3: The con is an exercise in soft skills, writes Marina Konnikova in her book, The Confidence Game. Trust, sympathy, persuasion. The true con artist doesn't force us to do anything. He makes us complicit in our own undoing. He doesn't steal, we give. He doesn't have to threaten us. We supply the story ourselves. And we don't realise what is happening until it's too late.
4: Simon Leviev is a convicted con man who has swindled multiple people out of an extortionate amount of money by pretending to be the son of diamond tycoon and billionaire Lev Leviev. Using Tinder, he met women, groomed them into falling in love with him and systematically conned them over the course of their relationship... using a sophisticated method of emotional manipulation. In other words, a love con.
3: My name is Felicity Morris... and I'm the director of the new Netflix documentary, The Tinder Swindler.
4: And I'm Bernadette Higgins, the producer of the film.
3: While making the film, we realised that the story of Simon Levive... runs further and deeper than any of us could have imagined... So who is the man behind the mask? How does this con work? And how has he got this far? That's what we're here to find out. This
4: is The Making of a Swindler.
3: Now, if you're listening to this podcast, then chances are you've seen The Tinder Swindler on Netflix. But if you haven't watched it yet, then I urge you to go and do it now because this podcast picks up where the film left off and is full of spoilers. The film focused on three of Simon's victims, Cecilia, Penilla and Eileen, who banded together and eventually took Simon down.
4: The more we looked into the story, the more a emerged telling similar stories of being conned by this man they'd met on the dating site Tinder. This podcast series will tell the other side of the story. Just who is Simon Leviev? We'll reveal more about the extraordinary life of the swindler himself and how he developed his act.
3: So how does Simon do it? That's exactly what we're going to be looking at in this episode. The theatre of Simon. And the first act is his online persona, Yes, all of us know that the moment you're going to meet anyone new these
4: days, the first thing you do is look them up on Google. So it'll probably lead you to Facebook, maybe their LinkedIn. But a key one that Simon really utilised was, of course, his Instagram.
3: We're all guilty of a little bit of gold plating. I know that my Instagram only ever really comes to life when I'm on holiday. But Simon's online profiles show a tantalising world of luxury. Photos on private jets, on helicopters. He posted videos of professional business meetings with advisors and so on. He had all the bells and whistles. His entire online world screams wealth and power. This is the first thing that Cecilia noticed. But there was something else that impressed her more.
5: What I really saw was that he had a lot of friends that tagged him. And what I always do is I go into tagged pictures.
3: This is Cecilia. Cecilia is Norwegian, but was living in London when she swiped right on Simon's Tinder profile. He had, like, female
5: friends, male friends posting about him and the trips that they had. And and he seemed like he had a great group of friends in Tel Aviv and stuff. So that made him seem more real, I think.
0: He was surrounded with friends. He was surrounded with people all over and traveling from country to country.
3: Penella was also convinced by his Instagram.
0: He had pictures from like quite a way back and it seemed like he traveled quite a lot, which was number one thing that I liked because I love seeing the world, I love to travel and I would love to have someone to accompany me while traveling.
3: Penilla was living in Stockholm when she met Simon. And while she didn't feel any sexual chemistry, they had a strong connection and became really good friends. He also conned her out of thousands of dollars. Cecilia told us that she was just intrigued. She'd never met a guy like this before. And here's a guy who on Instagram has hundreds of pictures of him on helicopters in these amazing places. They read something aspirational about that and then here's the chance to meet him, to go on a coffee with him. If it doesn't come to anything, then at least you've got a good story. Oh, guys, today I had a coffee with a billionaire. You know, it's not every day that you get to say that or get to do that. People play
4: Tinder. They play it like a game. You know, I've played Tinder on other friends' phones in the pub. Well, give me your phone, I'm going to swipe left and right for a bit. it Everyone's so disposable on Tinder that it's kind of like, oh, why the hell not? But for most of us, it's just, oh, what's the worst that could happen? I'll go and meet him for a coffee.
3: Yeah, and that's exactly what she does. It was just going to be a coffee, a quick coffee, and we'll see what happens.
4: But of course, for every woman Simon is accused of conning, there was one that got away.
6: So I first met Simon on Tinder. I was moving to Amsterdam and he was one of the first profiles that came up.
4: This is Lucy. Lucy isn't her real name because she asked us to protect her identity. But she met Simon in January 2018, which was when he was also dating both Cecilia and Eileen.
6: I was curious to know how he was able to become so rich so young. He also had a really... Cute face, he had really nice teeth and a nice smile.
4: She typed in Simon Levive on Google.
6: And everything he had told me seemed to match up, it all aligned.
4: They met up the night she moved to Amsterdam.
6: The day that I arrived, he had messaged me asking to meet that night for a drink at the hotel that he was staying in.
4: The five-star venue he had chosen for their first date was classic Simon. Very romantic, very luxurious. But the date itself was far from intimate.
6: And he was there with a few other girls around my age. I remember one of them was his personal assistant. And I think the other one was in finance or accounting or something like that. And I think his childhood best friend was there as well, Avishy.
4: It's pretty weird to arrive at a first date and find an entire entourage joining you. But Lucy just assumed that this was just how rich and powerful men live. And it certainly confirmed for her that Simon was who he claimed to be.
6: So the fact that he has all these young women working for him makes you feel safer and secure that everything is okay, because otherwise they would let you know. And the fact that they're not saying anything, then everything he's saying must be true.
4: For Lucy part of Simon's performance on their first date was to offer his unsolicited opinion on her appearance. He seemed very keen for her to understand that any woman he was seen with must look the part.
6: He said that I was too skinny, that I should wear more makeup, that I should get a gap in my teeth closed. He said my arms were too hairy. He said that I was really pretty, but I just needed to be polished.
4: Unsurprisingly, Lucy left the date with Simon bemused and with no intention of ever seeing him again. As far as she was concerned, it was just another story to add to the ever-growing collection of Tinder tales she and her friends were sharing in the pub. So she was pretty surprised when Simon called to apologise the next day, offering to take her out to a swanky Amsterdam restaurant to make up for it. Lucy had just returned from backpacking on a budget, so this was an offer she couldn't refuse.
6: And then he told me to dress elegantly... And I had told him that I don't own anything elegant. And he said, okay, no problem. Do you want to meet me now? And I'll take you out shopping and I'll buy you something elegant to wear. So I was like, okay, fine. Sure.
4: That's straight out of Pretty Woman.
6: Yeah. And like, I wasn't going to say no to that opportunity. (laughs) And we went straight into Gucci. And I was like, oh, this guy doesn't mess around. He's going to buy me something from Gucci. But instead, he picked out a bunch of sweaters that he was interested in. And we decided on like maybe four or five Gucci sweaters. And then we went upstairs and we bought them. Then we went out and he said to the driver, can you take us to the closest shopping center? And we went in and he took me to Zara.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And that's where the pretty woman experience ended. Simon bought Lucy a couple of dresses off the seal rack at Zara. It would seem his parade around Gucci was purely performative and only for his benefit. It was designed to make her believe he was obscenely wealthy, but the Zara seal rack was a sign of the mask slipping. Either way, Lucy wasn't very interested in Simon. She was heading back to Australia soon and was really only looking for a casual hookup. When he realised she wasn't taking the bait, Simon soon lost interest.
3: This story of Lucy's pretty woman shopping experience is such a textbook example of how Simon adapted his performance to each woman. Lucy was taken shopping because she'd just been travelling on a tight budget. Cecilia was totally knocked off her feet by being whisked off on a private jet to Bulgaria. And Penilla had spontaneous fun with Simon. He even joined her on an incredible last-minute trip to Mykonos. And in Simon... Eileen had a long-term, and what she believed to be, committed boyfriend. But Simon wasn't alone in all of this. He had an entire entourage he surrounded himself with, the supporting cast, that really added to his credibility. All of his victims were introduced to a number of people, including Peter, his bodyguard, Ivishai, his business partner other personal assistants and drivers, as well as hotel staff and airport staff, who all referred to Simon as Simon Levive and treated him as if he were part of the financial elite. Now, a traditional catfish can easily create a series of online profiles to create a world around their victims – But it's another thing entirely to have real people playing their part in a fake world, convincing you of something.
4: One of the most obvious members of that entourage for us to start with is Peter, the bodyguard. A lot of people who were victimised by Simon during this period cite the presence of Peter, a two-metre, 200-pound Eastern European bodyguard who was always by his side, as one of the main factors in believing Simon's story.
6: When I first saw Peter, that's when I was like, oh, you don't have a guy this big with you unless you needed a guy that big.
7: Of course, I was a little bit uh, intimidated by him (laughs) because he was full of tattoos and he was really, really, really big.
4: Eileen had been Simon's girlfriend for 18 months when she saw an article by the Norwegian publication VG exposing him as a con man. During the course of their relationship, Simon had told Eileen that before joining the family's diamond firm, he'd been involved in arms dealing for the Israeli government. The job had been so dangerous that he'd
7: been provided with his own private security in the form of Peter and after he was such a great asset to the team, so he hired him himself to work for him as his bodyguard. In
4: the film, we see the distressing photographs of Peter's bloodstained head and a video of him and Simon in an ambulance after an apparent attack. Images that Simon sent to Cecilia, Pernilla and Eileen as evidence that he was under terrible threat from his enemies and really needed the woman's help to stay safe. And Peter played an active part in some of these stories, such as when Cecilia was visiting Simon in Amsterdam and Peter called with an urgent message.
5: Then he put him on speaker and then it was Peter's voice like, Simon, they found you, you have to come now. We have a plane ready for you. You need to go now. You could just hear in his voice. But he seemed like properly that you need to go. And Simon didn't go into hiding in Sweden. He went to meet Pernilla.
0: The first time I met Peter was when he came to Stockholm to see me. And that is when he did this whole facade of a security problem in Amsterdam.
4: It was Easter weekend and a time of major partying in Stockholm. And Pernilla remembers Simon and Peter landing and heading straight out to join the fun. However, not before sowing a few security threat seeds in Pernilla's ear.
0: Peter uh, came up to Simon with me sitting on the side and just saying that there was like a small security issue, that someone hacked the system and Simon was a bit stressed. Peter was like, oh, this is serious. This needs to be handled now, but it should be handled fast.
4: These security concerns are key tactics in Simon's scams. Essential to persuading the women who feel close to him that he's in danger and needs their help. By then he will also have shown them his more vulnerable side, and they'll feel compelled to protect him. Maybe by letting him use their credit cards for fear of his being traced.
2: I told you you yeah, in a war I won't never ask you for anything, for the card and everything if it was not serious shit. You know what I mean?
4: Peter was an essential cast member in the security threat scenes, which were so pivotal in the swindling of the women. However, about six months into Eileen's relationship with Simon, Peter suddenly disappeared from the crew. Because Peter quit working for Simon. And why did Simon say that he'd moved on? What was the story
7: that Simon said about that? Simon said that Peter went over to his enemies and he got paid like almost 500,000 euros to work for them. So that's why Simon let him go. That's his story, of course.
4: (laughs) Eileen thinks it's possible that Peter was genuinely
7: misled by Simon. Because at one point I remember that Peter was shouting at Simon that he was not receiving his money.
4: We have no proof that Peter was aware of what Simon was up to or that he knew he wasn't actually working for the son of Lev Levive. So I asked a security expert how the whole client-bodyguard relationship works in the high-end market.
8: So my name's Alex Bomberg, and I'm a CEO of Intelligent Protection International Limited.
4: They supply bodyguards all over the world, to billionaires, heads of state, celebrities, royalty, and really just to anyone who feels under threat for any reason.
8: But you do get a lot of people who want a bodyguard for absolutely the wrong reasons, who want it to be either threatening or intimidating or who want it to be for show.
4: How likely is it that somebody could be duped into being the bodyguard for someone who's pretending to be someone they're not?
8: So the whole security industry, not just in the UK, but worldwide, the whole bodyguard industry, a lot of the guys are are, are really, quite frankly, desperate for work. So a lot of due diligence isn't carried out, sadly.
4: That due diligence would include things like getting copies of the client's passport, looking through their registered business names and email addresses, checking out their domain names and doing open source checks. The sort of things a freelance bodyguard may not have the resources to do.
8: Your bodyguard could quite easily have been duped, didn't know what he was getting himself into, maybe lost a lot of money himself, maybe wasn't paid. We really don't know...
3: Another important cast member was Simon's friend, Ivishai who was introduced to people as Simon's business partner Where we had Peter the bodyguard convincing people that Simon had these dangerous enemies Ivishai basically bolstered Simon's legitimacy as a billionaire the heir to a diamond fortune Here's Eileen Avishai came to visit like hey Simon
7: can you sign this for me or can we just go through this again and when I was with them alone he also confirmed that they were working on a big business deal they wanted to buy a hotel in London and he even showed me all the papers
3: uh, and all the paperwork what they were working on. Avishai is more of a shady character All of the women we spoke to met him at various points, but none of them really got to know him. And that suited Simon, because he was always in control with how the women interacted with his entourage. Cecilia never spent any time alone with Ivy Shy, but she often heard Simon and him discussing their work. Like, when we were in the apartment in Amsterdam, I was in the
5: bedroom, and I could hear they was discussing Diamond's what they were going to buy, what they were going to sell, and those kind of things.
3: Sometimes these conversations were in English, sometimes they were in Hebrew. And occasionally, the two of them would be on a business call with other people. I wasn't even in the room with them.
5: They were in the room that Avishai had in the apartment. So when I think back on it now, it was like, that's such a clever thing to do. Because they knew I would be listening. (laughs) in, And yeah, just to make it a bit more real. But that's one of the things where I just think back and just like, wow. I can just imagine them just like smiling to each other while they speak about this in the room. But this will make Cecilia believe more of
3: it. Ivy Shy was always around in the background. But he was this aloof figure who never really gave much away. Nothing about his personal life, no stories. But Eileen claims that when it came to demanding money, Ivishai took an active role.
7: At a certain point, Simon wanted to scare me with a lot of voice memos and he tried to call me and call me and he sent like this crazy, death-threatening voice memo. And when I didn't respond to that, also Avishai started calling me, text me to help Simon.
3: We really are trying to give everyone in Simon's entourage the benefit of the doubt here. So is it possible that Avishai may have genuinely been duped by Simon too? Or is it more likely that he was in on the game and playing a vital supporting role? I have no
7: idea what he is or what he was or whatever. And, yeah, he disappeared as well.
4: OK, so, Avishai, what do we know for certain
3: about Avishai? Well, we know for sure that Simon paid for Avishai to fly around with him because Avishai's name has popped up on Cecilia's American Express bills. so his name is there in black and white whether or not Avishai knows that that was how Simon was paying for the flights we obviously can't say for certain
4: but he's enjoying the spoils of Simon's endeavours for sure We've got videos of him like clubbing. We know that he was staying in all the best hotels. He was travelling around in all the best cars. He wasn't paying for any of his
3: flights himself. The ladies have also told us that while they would, you know, be out partying with Simon, Ivy would also have a group of girls on his arm at the same time. We also know that he sent texts to Eileen at various points during Eileen and Simon's relationship. So... After the VG article came out, Ivishai had texted Eileen saying that she needed to help Simon. She needed to find more money for him. So is there a chance that
4: Ivishai had just been blindly loyal to Simon and believed who he said he was? I mean, there's no way that Ivishai didn't know that Simon wasn't really Simon Levive, even if we didn't have the VG article exposing him and Avishai still continuing to advocate for him after that. The key bit of evidence that we found out during the course of our research is that when Simon was arrested as Shimon Hayat
3: in Israel, who paid his bail? Avishai. So he knows that Simon was Shimon Hayat, that he's changed his name to Simon Levive. And therefore, you would presume from that that he knows that Simon wasn't born Simon Levive and therefore Simon's father isn't Lev Levive. But not only that, we've also seen childhood photos of the two of them together. So this relationship goes way back.
4: I mean, obviously, we tried to speak with Avishai. I did get through to him once. I think I'd woken him up. He said to call him back, and any time I called him back after that, he never answered the
3: phone.
4: Mm. has never been prosecuted for any crime. There's mm. no evidence of him committing any
3: crime. But the presence of Ivishai there, being introduced as his business partner, somebody who's known Simon for all of this time, look, here's some pictures of the two of us together when we were kids, totally bolstered this persona that Simon had taken on. And if you remember Cecilia's first date when she was whisked away on the jet, there was someone else there who gave Simon credibility in Cecilia's eyes.
5: The entire entourage was consistent of a bodyguard, business partner, a private assistants, and then there were different drivers as well that was like hanging around them. And then The mother and the child. So it was a lot of people at once that I met.
3: She gets whisked off on the private jet and on the jet is this blonde woman who Simon has said is the mother of his child and who has come along for the trip so that Simon can spend some time with the daughter. Now, here's an ex-girlfriend saying, Simon and I aren't together anymore, but he was really great and is great to our kid and you've got nothing to worry about, basically. Go Mm. and have fun.
4: But... As we find out in the film, she was one of Simon's victims back in 2015 Mm. in Finland.
3: He went to prison for conning her, for stealing money from her, for using her American Express credit cards. It's such a tricky one, this
4: one, because Cecilia is adamant that she should have said something, she should have protected her. And we've spoken with her. Yeah. She didn't want to appear on camera. Which is understandable. Yeah.
3: She says that on that particular weekend that she was in London, she had seen Simon with multiple women mm-hmm. and just thought that Cecilia was another one of those hookups.
4: And there was no indication as far as she was concerned that Simon was going to defraud her in the way that he would defrauded her previously. And I know it's very easy to stand on the sidelines and say, well, I would have done this or I would have done that. Yeah. Maybe she just thought, you know what, it's just not worth it. It's not worth getting involved. I'm just going to stay out of it.
3: Yeah, I mean, Simon lies about everything, and so there's a good chance that Simon was lying to everybody.
0: You know, you met me, you met my family, you met my daughter, which, you know, people don't do. So, you know what I mean? And you know, I'm happy that you like it, and it's nothing. It's just the beginning, maybe.
3: So he uses the fact that Cecilia had met his child and his family as evidence of his affection for her. It was sort of... I'm letting you in here, but that meeting had been Cecilia's first date with Simon before he could possibly have developed a strong bond with her.
4: Yeah, I mean that was a classic Simon tactic, wasn't it? To mm. use everyone around him to corroborate his story. Yeah, I mean we tried to reach out to everyone in the entourage, Peter Avishai, even some of the women who were his personal assistants and who we have good reason to believe were actually victims. Yeah, none of them wanted to be interviewed for the film or the podcast except for one, someone who was an occasional part of the entourage when Simon was in London, his chauffeur, Jamal. Jamal isn't his real name, but we're using a pseudonym to protect his identity.
2: Hey, Bernie, how are you? Good, how are we're you? Good? Come
4: in. What, are we driving today?
2: We are driving a BMW.
4: OK, I'm just going to jump in. yeah.
2: I drive a lot of high net worth clients, uh, big names, big titles. They're probably internationally known. Could be in business, could be uh, celebrities, could be almost anybody.
4: Jamal is a chauffeur based in London who works the luxury circuit. And in 2018, that included Simon.
2: And generally speaking, when you get a brand new client and you don't know who that is, normally you just want to check him out. You Google the name, you see who he is, so you prepare yourself. It was it was pretty funny. When we Googled his name, Instagram came up.
4: And so what were your initial thoughts when you were looking at that?
2: Some flamboyant kid from a rich dad that just want to enjoy life. That's, that's what it was.
4: Simon had requested
2: a Rolls Royce, and Jamal was assigned as his driver. Him and Avishai... Uh, Vishay is sort of very quiet. The young man just skipped himself to himself, didn't talk much, he was just very quiet. And then Peter, the security guard, big security guard, humongous. It's like a door, you know?
4: Jamal seemed to be doing something right. Simon asked for him whenever he was in London.
2: In general, I think overall maybe three or four times. Uh, and each single time would be like maybe three to four days. On the second, third visit is like, why don't you come and work with me? I'll give you a good salary. At that time, he offered me like $7,000 a month salary.
4: The job would never materialize, but Jamal didn't know that then. He just thought Simon was a really nice guy.
2: You have to understand one thing. Simon, he's very charismatic. You want to hang around with him every day. He's like, you know, that's, that's a very nice man. But Simon would drill himself into your heart and make you feel like you're special. And then he stabs you and leaves you.
4: We pull up to an extravagant five-star hotel on a quiet side street, with a Lamborghini parked in front and three butlers waiting on the doorstep.
2: All right, so this is the uh, Four Seasons. Hold on, let me just reverse. So, this is a very nice hotel. This is a high end. This is
4: And this is where Simon chose to stay.
2: We would have, I think, on the first night, we probably had about three Rolls Royces, you know, two Phantoms and one convertible. An on average uh, Rolls Royce would probably go around two and a half grand for the day. So, that's like seven grand just in one day, right?
4: And it wasn't just the spending that was excessive. Jamal remembers a mind-blowing number of women passing through the doors of both his car and the hotel, all to see Simon.
2: Like, let's say we finish the night at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. Somebody would probably be spending the night with him. We start the following morning at around, what, 11, 12 o'clock. And then he would have left already. Jamal would call Simon for instructions. Simon's like, pick up Avishai and come and meet me at, could be a Harrods, could be suffrages, could be... A restaurant it could be anything right and when i meet simon simon would have a completely different lady with him a random one so she'd be tagging with us in the car for an hour he would drop us somewhere and then an hour or two hours later he will meet up with another girl and then two three four hours later the person from the morning could have been with us in the evening or a completely different person in the evening again So during the day, he could be having four or five different girls in a day.
4: So what did you think was going on? Like, how did you think he was meeting these
2: girls? Horny guy at the beginning. Just a horny, (laughs) horny guy. (laughs) You would think, okay, this is a rich kid. He's just screwing around with everybody.
4: Jamal remembers one woman in particular. She was sitting in the lobby of the
2: Four Seasons. A Norwegian girl. Very innocent. Very, very pretty. And then he goes to me, take her to the house. She's going to pick up some couple of luggages. And then they were flying off.
4: The woman Jamal was driving was Cecilia. Cecilia, who had just met Simon for the first time that day and was now packing to go with him to Bulgaria on his private jet. She remembers Jamal too.
5: Yeah, he was such a nice guy. It was like a bit comforting because I was like telling him when we're in the car, you know, that this is very <laughs> overwhelming and I've never been in this situation before. And he was like, "Yeah, I know exactly." Like he's been a driver for Simon for a long time. He's even been to Amsterdam with him with the car, and like he's his regular driver in London. And of course, when he was really positive towards Simon and how great of a guy he was and how nice he was to people, it was just it was just really nice to hear at the start of something when you met
4: someone. Jamal meant every word. Although he didn't strictly work for Simon, he had been offered a job and thought he'd soon be part of the team. And
2: obviously, it was awkward for me because the way the picture looked for Simon, it looked like as if I was working for him. This is how the picture was painted. So we kept it that way, just to please Simon, not to please Cécile.
4: But of course, the effect was the same. Jamal had performed exactly the role Simon wanted him to, unwittingly confirming Simon as a stand-up guy who was not only mega wealthy, but also super kind. Did you think to yourself who oh, here is another lamb to the slaughter?
2: Uh, yeah, I did. To be honest, it's not nice for me to say this. I feel like I pig myself to be involved in that scenery and encouraging Simon to do what he's done. It has an effect on me. It's not nice, it's disgusting, um, and it's not part of me. Sorry, it's just. Sorry, one second. Sorry, sorry. Are you okay? It's all right. Uh, No, no, no. I don't like this. Sorry, one
4: second. At this point of the interview, Jamal got out of the car and began pacing back and forth with the cigarette. He was visibly upset.
2: What's up? It's not nice, you know. What's not nice? Uh, you know, treating people like that, it's not nice. It's not nice at all. But you didn't know. know what he was doing. No, I didn't, but you know, he was hurting people, hurting their finances, damaging them emotionally, you know, done that to me as well, so it's it's not nice.
4: How do you feel after experiencing somebody like Simon up close?
2: I'm trying to raise it. Like I said, the guy played an emotional part with me, promising me things that he never delivered, and it's it's disgusting. Why would anyone do that? Yeah. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I feel like I'm partly to blame to it, for allowing him to have that full picture of him being something that he's not. I do blame myself a little bit.
4: What, do you think there were any warning signs in retrospect?
2: No, I, I kind of made him look like he's the man, you know? Made him look and feel like he's the boss.
4: That's the world you work in though, isn't it? It is.
2: It is. Have I haven't known who he is and what he does, I would never get involved. A guy like that needs to be put away. This guy is dangerous. And I think the world needs to know people like him They need to be aware of him.
3: It's extraordinary, isn't it, to hear someone like Jamal getting so upset about the experience that he's had. You know, he wasn't personally hurt, but he feels complicit.
4: I was really shocked by that reaction, actually, considering the fact that when we did that interview, it was like nearly three years since it had all happened.
3: It's easy to forget that Simon developed incredibly close relationships with these people, love affairs and friendships. His victims shared what they felt were real moments of intimacy, joy and even love. For the women who fell in love with him, they believed that he was totally committed to them. He promised that to them. He told them he wanted to marry them, have a family with them. These weren't just fleeting romances. Simon could fake love. He faked it with the women who fell in love with him and his friends too. And it's left his victims feeling such grief. His Penilla.
0: I mean like we genuinely had like a really good time together. He did like nice things, we had fun. And I think the way that he behaved and the way he was with me as well made me feel very safe. I would think he would be the last person on earth to let anything bad happen to me. But the Simon I knew never existed and that is sort of like a friend who died.
3: For Eileen, the psychological toll from what Simon put her through cuts far deeper than the financial burden that she's carrying. It's not only the stupid
7: money part. Money you will get, yeah. But the mental abuse, what he did to us, I think that's the worst.
3: How can somebody do this? The psychology of Simon LeVive, or Shimon Hyatt, is fascinating. And in the next episode, we'll be looking into what makes him tick. I have met a lot of con artists. And, of course, they're all manipulative. They're all Machiavellian. But there's something different about Simon. He's got an aggressive side to him and the more dangerous side that I found particularly unnerving.
4: We'll explore how Simon developed his act and the mistakes he made along the way. Because before Simon became Simon Levive, he was going by the name Mordecai Tapiro, And Mordecai got caught. That's next time on the making of a swindler.